We're going to begin a short series um, Sunday morning on uh, spiritual gifts. And I'm going to explain why we're doing that. Um, but Paul opens 1 Corinthians 12.1 saying this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Um, if you've been with Waypoint since the beginning, or maybe since last spring, um, you've probably picked up on a pattern that I'm doing. We, uh, we are a young church, we're two and a half years old, and the way that I began planting this church was to be very, very intentional about laying foundational things. Um, the very first study I ever did at Waypoint was on biblical leadership because I believe very strongly, not only in the church, but in anything, whether it's in a home, whether it's in a business, whether it's in military, whatever it might be, the strength of the organization or the unit will only be as strong as its leadership. And so, biblically, you can see that the people will rise to where the leaders are. If they're bad leaders, the people will follow. If they're good leaders, the people will often follow. So I wanted to establish, one, what biblical leadership looked like, what it is. Um, from there, we nominated our first elders, Bo and Dwayne. And at the same time, I began teaching through the book of Acts. What I wanted to do with the book of Acts was very intentional. As a new church, as a young church, I wanted us to look at what the first church faced, how they overcame, how they did ministry. Um, I, I just wanted to see what the first church was. And I wanted us to learn from that while we went through the process of examining elders and appointing elders and nominating, uh, ordaining them. After that, the next foundational stone we did was looked at deacons. And you guys had a part of that. You guys nominated deacons. Um, while those men were going through uh, deacon nomination, Mark, Travis, Olin. Mark was actually deployed for a while, so we put it on hold for three or four months. But once he got back, we, we finished the, the ordination process and, uh, and had our ordination service this last fall for our deacons. In the meantime, what I began looking at was a long series on discipleship. What was biblical leadership? What the first church do? We saw in that study, they discipled. They were about the ministries of evangelism and discipleship. So we did a long series this last spring through the summer and early fall on what discipleship is. That was the third foundational stone. From there, I was very intentional about what we did next, church membership. That's the next foundational thing. We had a short series on what church membership, biblical membership is. We uh, had our first membership class. We're about to have our second membership class, which, by the way, as Bo said last week, if you go to the membership class, that doesn't mean you're going to become a member, but it is an opportunity for you to ask us questions, to learn about who we are, examine us, um, and see if this might be where God's calling you to serve. So we're going to have our second membership class coming up here in a few weeks, which, by the way, sign up for that so we know how much food to order. So what follows very naturally, then, once you have leadership established, both elders and deacons, once you have membership established, what follows is, okay, what are members supposed to do? That's why we're doing spiritual gifts. My wife has actually been asking me to do this study um, almost since we began, uh, and I've had several other people want to do this study on what spiritual gifts are. Many don't know what their spiritual gifts are. Um, many do. 
And many uh, are eager to learn and discover what that is. But just like any unit, uh, any trade, there's always tools for the trade, right? To take Mallory's husband, Brian, I couldn't go in and fly a drone. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the tools to do it. We have some PJs here. I couldn't do what you guys do. I mean, I get grossed out when, when I see blood. I, I kind of freak out. So that's, that's definitely not my skill set. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of limited on what I can do now that I think of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm called to here, though. Um, I know that, that my skill set uh, in the ministry is, is teaching. That's what I love to do. Uh, I resisted it for a while. But just as there's a skill set for every trade occupation, that's true for the church. Um, but we're going to look at some points before we jump straight into what the gifts are. I want to get the big picture first. Because, uh, unfortunately, this, this topic has been in the past, um, it won't be with us, but it has been in the past, a divisive issue. Um, we're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians 12. We'll also examine briefly Romans chapter 12, as well as 1 Peter chapter 4. That will be in the weeks to come. But we're going we're gonna to work our way through 1 Corinthians 12, really beginning next week, and then we'll also look at chapter 13 and 14, because that's important. I want to read this morning with you 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3, and then we're going to cover some stuff uh, to cover the big picture, like I said. But Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now from there, Paul goes on to list what some of the gifts are. We're going to stop. And I want to pray, and then we're going to cover some big picture points. Father God, I just want to ask this morning as we begin this, this study, Father, it was important enough for You by Your Spirit to include it in Your Word to us. In fact, Paul says, he didn't want the Corinthian church to be ignorant. He didn't want them to be uninformed about this issue. And so it is our heart, Lord, as we begin really building, really laying foundations here at Waypoint. Father, we need to understand how it is we're gifted for this work, this ministry that You've called us to of the Gospel. Because we don't want to try and do something we're not gifted in, and we don't want to be inactive in the ministry because we don't know how we're gifted. So Father... As we begin this approach uh, the next several weeks, Lord, I pray very simply that You help our church discover how it is You've equipped them and how it is You want them to serve for Your kingdom. There are many things we can put our hand to, Lord, but none is greater than Your kingdom. It has everlasting value, worth, and importance. And so give us a passion for it, Lord. And, uh, and may we be zealous laborers in your field, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we jump into studying all the various gifts, I really I like to get the big picture. You guys have heard my testimony before. I didn't become a Christian until uh, my sophomore year in college. And I had a lot of catching up to do in my knowledge of Scripture. And uh, for me, to see the big picture helps me to identify the pieces and how they go together, okay? 
So that's, that's important when it comes to spiritual gifts. We don't just want to know about gifts without understanding what they're for in the big picture. So the first thing we're going to talk about, keep your uh, bookmark here. But the first thing with spiritual gifts, we're told why the Spirit comes, why He equips in the first place, our primary reason is to glorify the Lord Jesus. Okay? Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 12 and turn to John 16 with me. The Gospel of John chapter 16. This is Jesus' last dinner. This is uh, the Passover night, the night before He's crucified. Really, chapter 13 through 17 records His last major words to His disciples. And in this um, dialogue with them in John 16, He begins talking about the Spirit's coming and saying that it's better He goes away and that the Spirit comes. And that the Spirit will be our helper, He'll be our teacher, so on and so forth. But in John chapter 16, verse 12, He says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare it to you. Declare to you the things that are to come. Now verse 14, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The main point of why spiritual gifts are given in the first place, why the Spirit comes, is to glorify Jesus. Okay, Why is this important? When you look at people... Uh, I, I watched the football games last night. Very talented athletes, very gifted men. But it always gets me ruffled when they simply do what they're supposed to do and then begin boasting in the end zones, right? Does anybody else get bothered by that? You're getting paid millions of dollars to do a job. You don't need to boast about it. But it shows something about human nature. We like to exalt ourselves. We like to put on display our gifts and our talents and get credit for it. And that unfortunately happens within churches with spiritual gifts. People will often use them in a carnal way to bring attention to themselves. The very first thing we must examine and understand is that the Spirit of God equips you not to glorify yourself, but to glorify the Lord Jesus. And if they're being operated in a way that's detracting from Him, they're not being operated by the Spirit of God. And so, Jesus says very clearly, He will glorify Me. Any true exercise of any spiritual gift, whatever, it, whatever the gift is, will always result in the one who's gifted kind of fading in the background while the Lord Jesus coming to the forefront and being exalted. When that's happening in a church, in a ministry, wherever it might be, you know that the Spirit of God is working there because that's His primary goal. Exalt the Lord. As Braden closed this service, with all praise and honor is due him all whether it's in in our secular fields whether it's in our church ministries whatever it is the theologian j.i packer said it this way the role of the spirit of god is to mediate the presence of christ to believers if you remember in the old testament when when moses was was making his way into the wilderness they've been delivered out of egypt and he's pushing into the wilderness to the unknown his one request was this of God, God, you need to be with us. I will not move forward unless you're with us. I want your presence. And God told him, I will be with you. 
When, when the Spirit of God working through the children of God by those gifts that He gives, when that's happening, the Lord Jesus will be present. It'll be uh, not physically present, but He will be here with us and we will know it. That is the ultimate goal of all spiritual gifts, to put Christ in the forefront and the church behind the scenes. In fact, we read 1 Corinthians 12.3. That's actually what Paul is getting at in verse 3, where he says, anyone speaking by the Spirit of God can't say Jesus is accursed, nor can they say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What he means by that is this. If, if your heart conviction is that Jesus is accursed, or He's just something other than what He is, that's not a prophecy of the Lord. It's not a teaching of the Lord. The Spirit of God will never move anybody to confess such a thing. But if your heart conviction and faith is this, Jesus is Lord, you can only come to that conviction by the Spirit. That's what His role is, to magnify the Lord Jesus. When you look at Romans 10, what's Paul say the great confession of the church is? Jesus is Lord. At the end of the ages, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, what's Paul say? Every knee will confess, and every, or every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow and say what? Jesus is Lord. That's the goal, first and foremost, of all spiritual gifts. It's the goal of all ministry. 1 John 4 makes the same point, if you want to go read that. We'll, we'll go there in a minute, actually. But it's over and over in Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never lead people to demote Christ and promote self. Okay? That's never the Spirit's working. I love this point, theologian. I've quoted him before, Bruce Ware. He makes such an incredibly good point in connection with spiritual gifts and their ultimate goal. He says this, the Holy Spirit's presence in the lives of individual believers and within the community of faith is not shown by the Spirit making much of the Spirit Himself. Rather, the Spirit's presence and work are known as He makes much of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very often you see churches uh, saying they're operating in their spiritual gifts, but they're exalting the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ, we're told, is actually exalting the Lord Jesus. That's it. Okay. The second point this morning, before we dive into this, this issue of spiritual gifts, is understanding the big picture of the gifts, what they're meant for. It's to promote and further the gospel. The gospel of Christ is God's redemptive tool, right? The Spirit of God, when the gospel is preached and people hear the words of the gospel, the Spirit of God begins moving in their hearts and minds, drawing them to Himself and saving them and redeeming them. The gifts He gives are meant to be used for that ministry, okay? As we did in our discipleship study, two ministries the church is a part of, evangelism and in building up the saints. You proclaim the gospel in evangelism, those who come to faith, you then build up in the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers with those gifts of evangelism in order to proclaim the gospel. Okay. In fact, in Acts 1.8, if you remember when we went through that book, if you were here, before they were even to go evangelize the apostles, before Jesus ascended into heaven, in Acts 1.8, He says this, hey, stay here in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Why? Because you will receive power to be My witnesses. Have you guys ever tried to go evangelize, share your faith, share the Gospel with someone, and it just kind of falls flat? 
Yeah. I'm not so much an evangelist. I wish I were, honestly. But you know, when I evangelize, it's not like droves of people are coming to faith. But I know that's not where I'm empowered to serve necessarily. I'm called to do it. The Lord will use it. But that's not my area of giftedness. My area of giftedness is in teaching. And when I do that, guess what happens? The Lord works in you, and I know He's working. You guys come talk to me. It's not me. That's, I'm operating how God has gifted me. Same is true for you. You might want to be an evangelist as far as the office or ministry, but if you're not empowered to do that, it's going to fall flat. Know, therefore, what aspect of the gospel ministry you should be a part of. Okay? The second aspect of the big picture there of the gospel is that we, he evangelizes, he empowers to evangelize, but then he empowers to form Christ in us. Let me read a couple verses. Um, Here's what Paul said to the Galatians, Galatians 4.19. He said, I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's the goal of the church. Why do we come here Sunday in and Sunday out? It's so that we can form Christ in people. Not just teach you facts, not just give you information. We want to see you changed into the image of Christ. Well, that's only possible as the Spirit is working and empowering that to happen. That's what Paul labored for. To the Corinthians, he said it this way, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, from one glory to another. But then he says this, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it is the Spirit working, transforming the lives of believers as we meet together, as we do life together, as we pursue Christ. And the gifts of the Spirit are being operated to do just that. So we need to understand why we don't just want gifts for gifts' sake, right? The gifts are not the end. The gifts are a means to an end. The end is to form Christ in people through the gospel. In fact, when we get to in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, maybe you've never noticed this. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a lot of stuff. He identifies the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, he deals primarily with the use and abuse of the gift of prophecy in tongues. But chapter 13, sandwiched right in between there, seems a little out of place. We call it the love chapter. Why does Paul put the love chapter, love is patient, love is all this, why does he put that in between two chapters on spiritual gifts? Because what's more important, the gift or the fruit? The fruit. Whenever we begin pursuing gifts without fruit, We've missed the boat. Right? That's why Paul... We'll get to that and we'll cover that in depth. I love that point. Okay? What an important point, though, to understand. So the, the big picture of the ministry of the gifts is in the gospel ministry. That's why we're doing it. The third point this morning I want to talk about, and this is, this is an important one for me, is that the ministry of the gospel is a spiritual ministry. It's a spiritual ministry... Jesus said it this way, the flesh profits nothing. Why is this so important to me? I, we had a meeting last week with our deacons, and I did a quick little Bible study with them to remind them of something. Deacons are servants. It's what the word means. They're called to serve. And I reminded them it's so easy to jump into a service ministry and just start doing it. But Paul, Peter said this in Acts chapter 6. He says, in choosing deacons, 
Here's the qualifications. They need to be full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. See, you can jump in and just start doing, 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 and it can be a completely carnal ministry. God is absent from it. You can do those kind of things in the flesh. The gospel ministry is a spiritual ministry, and just like I opened up with saying, if you're not spiritually equipped, if you don't bring the right tool set to the ministry, it's going to be a failure. Just like it would be a failure if I try and save someone's life as a PJ, or fly a drone, or farm, or whatever it might be. I don't have those skill sets. I would not dare to jump into one of those career fields and try and do it. But we do that when it comes to the gospel ministry. You have to understand, this is a spiritual ministry. You cannot operate successfully or fruitfully in the power of the flesh. You won't do it. You have to be spiritually equipped. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it's one of, or 3-5 through really. It's one of my favorite passages. He said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are divinely empowered to the tearing down of strongholds. The strongholds he's talking about are the deceptions of the mind that people believe. I love that. I love listening to people when they're struggling with stuff, identifying the errors and just kind of dismantling it for them to help them come to greater understanding. Why? Because that's where I'm gifted. It's not something I chose to do. Ephesians 6, you guys know that passage well, 10-14. through 14. The armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Why? Who are we wrestling against? Flesh and blood? No. Principalities and powers. This is a a spiritual reality behind what's going on. Guys, when you look at what's going on all around the world, and I know this church is deeply connected to what's going on around the world. It's not primarily a battle against flesh and blood. There are demonic forces behind these things going on. And if we don't operate with that understanding, we're going to be very ineffective as far as ministers of the gospel. We have to see that. I wrote down all the things that I could think of, and I'm sure I missed some. I wrote down, just as I was studying this, all the things that the Spirit of God is involved with in the church. Okay, The church is born of the Spirit, John chapter 3, right? The church is a dwelling place of God by the Spirit, Ephesians 2.22. The church is spiritually equipped, as we just read, gifted, 1 Corinthians 12. The church is taught by the Spirit of God. John 16. The church is warned of things. Acts 28. Or Acts 20, sorry, 28. The church is prayed for by the Spirit of God, according to Romans 8. The church is drawn to the Father by the Spirit of God, John 6. The church is called to specific ministries by the Spirit. Acts 13. The Spirit says to the church at Antioch, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to the ministry that I've called them to. The church is sanctified by the Spirit of God as we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are transformed. The church, through Jesus, has access in one Spirit to the Father. Ephesians 2.18 What's amazing about that verse, you actually see the Trinity there. The verse says this, Through Jesus, we all have access in one Spirit to the Father. It's beautiful. That's just a short list of some of the things I could think of. Oh, and the last one, the church is led by the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. You see how active the Spirit of God is in every part of the church's life? If we don't recognize the ministry of the gospel, we dare not rush into it 
try to do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power. It'll fall flat and we'll be, be ruined, honestly. So it's an extremely important point for us to understand before we go in and examine what the gifts are specifically. So, the last point I want to talk about this morning, and this is a, this is a good one for me. Um, I know it's a good check for my heart. As we examine spiritual gifts, there's a great need for humility and a great need for faith. Okay, Turn with me to the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, and then we'll scoot backwards. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah tells us this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Before we look at the next passage, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we have to understand these are not gifts of people. These are the Spirit's chosen gifts to do what He calls us to do. Now, when we're told in Isaiah chapter 55 that His ways are not our ways, does that make anybody uncomfortable? Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. When we look at the book, the whole Bible as a whole, there's a lot of things that are out of the ordinary. Would you agree? You look at uh, Balaam, for instance. He's going to rebuke Israel and get a curse on Israel. What's the Lord used to rebuke him? A donkey speaking in a human language. That seems incredible. Why? It is incredible. It doesn't happen in the natural world. It's an act of God. His ways are not our ways. He can use a donkey if he wants to use a donkey, and he did use a donkey to rebuke a prophet. He also used in the New Testament men to speak in other human languages the glories and praise of God. Can he do that? Yes, he can. His ways are not our ways. Does it seem fantastic to us? Yeah, and it should, if it's a work of God. So there's a need for humility to accept the fact that, you know what, God is bigger than me. He doesn't operate how I always think He should. I can't put Him in a box and say, God, I will play by these rules, I will do this and that, and nothing more. He'll say, okay, you can sit right over here, we'll move on. <laughs> We don't lead this ship. Go back to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, again, is kind of making the same point. Verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, Who has directed or measured the Spirit of the Lord? Now just stop and think about that. Have any of us ever given counsel or directed the Spirit of God what to do, how to do it, where to go? No, and we won't. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him counsel? Whom did He consult and who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? 
It's rhetorical, right? The answer is no one. So as we examine spiritual gifts, this is my point. We need humility. We're not in charge. The Holy Spirit has been given to the church as the head administrator of it. He leads, He teaches, He works, He empowers, He does everything we just quoted scripturally. And our position is to say, yes, sir. (laughs) We get that. I've taught on this before. The, The two times that Jesus marveled in the New Testament was at the faith and then, contrarily, the unbelief of Israel, the faith of the Roman centurion was so great, Jesus marveled at it. But what did the centurion understand? He understood authority. That's what faith is premised upon. You guys realize that? Faith understands the structure of authority. If this person has authority, he has authority, and he can do it. The centurion came to Jesus. His servant is sick. And Jesus is going to come into the house, and the centurion says, no, don't come in my house. I know, I understand authority. I tell my servant to do this, they do it. I tell this one to go there, they go there. Just say the word. I believe you have authority to do that. Just say the word. You don't have to come to my house. And Jesus stops and says he marvels. Then he turns around at Israel, who should have had that kind of faith, and he says, I haven't found this kind of faith in Israel. Faith understands authority. The Lord can say this, He can do this, and it accepts that on the authority of who God is. So I think it's important as we embark on this this study of what spiritual gifts are, to understand this is the Spirit's gifts. These are His chosen ways. And we simply say, okay, this is how God's chosen to operate in His church. So, we'll wrap it up this morning there, but I'm excited to do this study. I've, I've taught through the spiritual gifts, but it's been quite a long time. I don't know whether all of us here have ever done a study on spiritual gifts or if if all of us even know what our spiritual gifts are, but that's why I want to do this study. Before we really start establishing membership, hey, I want you to know I'm going to be a member. Here's how I'm gifted. Here's where I want to serve. Hit the ground running. Let's do that. All right? So church, let's stand and pray. We're going to sing one last song as we go out. Father God, thank You so much for this group. I know, Father, that they are zealous, that they're hungry for Your Word, Lord. I I want to be faithful to teach them. I want to teach them rightly. I want to teach them truly of what You say to us. Father, I want us to discover together how it is we're gifted. And Father, I want us to discover together how to best fit in, plug in, and operate in that gifting. Father, that we would bear fruit for You that the ministry you have for us at Waypoint, both abroad, maybe in Spain, and locally here, with friends, family, ministries all over the place, Lord, that we would bear fruit as we operate in the ways you've gifted us to operate. Father, increase our joy with it. Help us to love one another earnestly, Lord, because above any gift we may have, if we don't have love, we are nothing. Father, above all, We want to be good at loving each other as you loved us. Father, as we sing about that love of God, may you inspire us with that. Your love is so great, it's so grand, Father. May we be filled with it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.